Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. We are in a series in Romans, and we're dealing with the subject right now of growing in grace and transforming. And last week, I compared... Uh, the Christian life to kind of like being like a butterfly, where you go from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly. What? What is? What's up? We're butterflies. I, we yeah. are butterflies. We turned into butterflies, and I love it because I feel so beautiful. <laughs> uh. Um, I haven't seen them in this. I'm thinking fairy. I'm thinking fairy, but I'm going to go with butterfly. Uh, Really, you are quite beautiful. Stunning. The transformation is clearly happening in your life. It's very different. You know, some things are easier than others, like the wings. They're pretty cool. They let us fly. But uh, honestly, I'm afraid of heights, so I'm I'm having to get used to that. Okay. Now, the whole nectar thing. Now, that is good. I'm having to struggle with the nectar. You're struggling with the I nectar. I got to watch the nectar. But we were caterpillars. We had hundreds of legs. Now, we just have a few. That alone is awesome. In the morning when you're getting ready, that's better. Yeah, and you know, I love flying. I do. But uh, kind of miss shoe shopping a little bit. Yeah, that's I okay. bet you did. Because you know what? I see myself in a very different light. I, I just feel more beautiful. Well, you look like you're acclimating pretty well. Well, this new life's very freeing. All right, come on, we got to go. There's a lot of stuff to be, a lot of nectar to be drunk. Yep, it's a great life. A lot of nets to look out for, too, though, if you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, does this new body make my wings look big? No, 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 no. Ah, Lord have mercy. Uh, in case you weren't here, that is the summary of last week. Right there. Hey, before we continue in worship, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the transformation that has occurred in our lives, what you have accomplished. We pray as we go through the series, we will learn better how to acclimate to the new life that you have given us. Right now, as the song said, receive our praise. For we honor you, we love you, and... We are here to worship you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am officially a three-tree person. Uh, In case you weren't here for Easter, I had only two trees in my front yard. Homeowner Association caught me on it, and I needed to get a third tree. And I got to tell you how good it feels to get out of the two-tree group. Uh, to think that I've lived a good portion of my life a tree short is just almost more than I can handle. Uh, It feels good when you're in compliance of a law. You know, it feels good. Uh, But it's easy to get self-righteous. Like I noticed, uh, I started comparing my tree to others and that my tree really does look better than other people's trees. It's new, and um, 
You start counting trees when you're driving through the neighborhood. You say, who else? Who is not in the three tree group? You know? Uh, I'm kind of waiting, you know, for a letter. Because, you know, when you're in, a comp when you're in compliance of a law that looks, uh, let's see. We got it? We got it? No? Can you get it for me? There we go. Let's see, do we have it? This isn't working. There it is right there. When you're in compliance of a law that looks like that, you just feel good. I'm waiting for the letter that says, Mr. Chiafalo, we never expected for you to meet this law with such beauty. We've decided to enclose a certificate for Yard of the Month. Obedience to one law can make you feel so good about yourself. But remember what the scripture says. This is a reminder that if you grab onto one law that makes you feel good about yourself, guess what the scripture says? You have to grab all of the law. You have to fulfill them all. Because to disobey one law of any law makes you an offender of all of them. We said last week, last week I kind of drew you a little picture just to kind of communicate what the text has been saying to us regarding the law. And I want to say this. See, uh, the law game is just a game you can't win. I got chastised by my small group a little bit that some of the things that I write up here aren't clear. So I want to make sure that I write well. Because, uh, all right, this is the Ten Commandments. If you live by the law, okay, if you live by the law, all right, remember, we use the law to relate to God. Triangle's the Trinity. That's why it's the symbol for God. And, and then you relate to other people, remember? First half of the law tells you how to relate to God. Second half of the law tells you how to relate to people. Okay? You've got to remember this. Right, now, here's the problem with the law. Here's the problem with going with the law. It has two problems. Number one, it backfires on you because you feel self-righteous. As soon as you get the tree up, start counting other people's trees can't help yourself. You just feel better about yourself because you're in compliance with the law. That is self-right. That self-righteousness that you feel is part of what God hates. Okay, so that becomes just as ugly as disobeying the law as the feeling of pride you get and self-sufficiency for obeying one law when there's so many others. The reason the self-righteousness looks so ugly is because so many other laws you break. So it's a self-righteousness that is delusional. All right, so that's the first reason, is it backfires. The second reason is it limits you. So the first one is it backfires. Let me see if I can write this in a way where you can read it. Backfires. All right, and the second thing it does, watch this, is it limits how much you, how, how far you go. It limits how far you go. See, because if I don't kill you today, I'm then I sleep good. But I may have given you all kind of hand gestures in the car, and I may have said some stuff. and That's different, see? I can do everything. I didn't kill you. At least I didn't kill you. That's how we live. 
who say, all I have to do is go this far. That's the other problem with the law. That's not fulfilling it in the way God wants. Let me show you a verse in Romans. I'm going to put this one here up on these screens here. Look at Romans 13, 7 and 8. Look what it says. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Render to all means pay what you owe. Okay, so when you get to verse 8, we all know this verse. Owe nothing. Okay, and by the way, this commandment is not saying you're not allowed to owe money. You can't use Romans 13, 7, and 8 uh, to discourage the fact that you have debt. To judge someone who has debt. Because watch, owe nothing to anyone comes out of verse 7, which just assumed you owe things. You owe taxes. You owe fear. You owe respect. You owe. There are things you owe in life. So that's the point. So here's what he's saying by owe nothing. Pay what you owe. If you owe it, pay it. Otherwise, the point he's about to make about the law doesn't work if you, if you interpret it any other way. Because notice what he says. For he who loves his neighbor, except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The only way, the only thing about love is you never, ever get out from under the debt. See, that's why the contrast is so critical. You have to pay what you owe. He's saying, pay the debt of love that we have to one another. But remember, that debt never gets paid in full. There's no limit on that. You never pay the amount of love, and then you're done loving. That's all the loving I'm doing. I didn't kill you today. That's all the loving you're getting from me. Right? We get to the end of our can't do anymore. Okay, God doesn't want that. God doesn't want your love to have all those limits. He wants you to come up with ways to actually serve people instead of not killing them. Okay? That's a really low standard, by the way. I didn't kill anyone today. All right, so love your neighbor. That you can't fulfill. You fulfill the law by going past it, which was God's intention for you all along. And so what we said is that God is trying to do an inside law. You can't use the law uh, to serve yourself. That's what we do. Um, so make your love payments is what he's saying. Stop counting trees. Love your homeowners association with all your heart. All right? That's what he's saying. Uh, so the game doesn't work. The law game doesn't work. And when you get to chapter 8, you're saying, okay, God, you've done some great things for me. In chapter 6, you freed me from sin. I was enslaved to sin. Here's the two images in 6 and 7. You've got to understand. Remember, Romans 6. Remember chapter 5, you're secure in your salvation. Chapter 6, something else has happened to you, though. You've been, you've been freed from sin. You were enslaved to it. You're not enslaved to it anymore because of what Christ has done. Now you are a bond slave to righteousness. That's the image of chapter 6. You come out of chapter 6, a slave to righteousness, not to sin anymore. And you come out of chapter 7, wed not to the law, but to Christ. So in the chapter 6, the image is of a bond slave. And in chapter 7, it's the image of a bride. We saw at Easter. That you're now married to Christ. So you're free from the law. 
So when you get to chapter 8, which is what we're going to look at now, let me get there. Come back to that, come back to that, come back to that. There we go, chapter 8. When you get to chapter 8, and I won't spend all the time in the world telling you what a grand chapter it is, I'm just telling you that it's phenomenal. And it's a chapter that is going to really help you understand now how do you live in light of the fact that you're a slave to righteousness and in light of the fact that you're free from the law. We need to know what that looks like because it affects your spiritual life. All right? Uh, and I want to jump in. I want to actually jump in. Let's see, where am I? At, uh, at verse 3. So imagine that you were a, uh, like a criminal, a crime scene investigator and you were coming up on the scene of Romans 8 and you wanted to let's say let's say a bomb went off in a house and you want to you're looking at you see all the all the damage that's been done okay but you want to try to go and find out where the bomb went off all right that's that's what you're doing well if you look at Romans 8 1 to 5 which is what we're going to try to look at today and you kind of went snooping around to find out where did this thing detonate so that we can see how the damage came from it the and in this case, it's just the opposite, the irony. Uh, it's the wonder of this one thing. But where did the bomb go off? It goes off right here in verse 3. So you got Romans 8, 1 to 5. The bomb goes off right here in 3. So that's what I want to show you. Look, here's what we've been saying. What the law could not do. He's summing up two chapters. What the law couldn't do. And we've just seen what the law couldn't do. The law can't save you, and the law can't change you. Remember that. The law can't save you, and the law can't change you. So if you come to Christ and then try to serve him by using the law, you're going to mess it up again. That's why this becomes very significant and practical, all right? So it can't save you, make you right before God, and it can't change you, make you do right before God. The law is an ineffective tool. Okay, God, what are you going to do about that? Now notice what he says. Because it was weak. That's the reason. It wasn't designed to do that. Weak as it was, is the law to blame? Are we, should we be mad at the law? No. Paul's told us that all along. The flesh is the problem. Our flesh is the problem. Sin is the problem in us. Paul makes that clear at the end of Romans 7. Wretched man that I am. I'm the problem, not the law. So what the law couldn't do because of my sin, guess what? God did. God did it. Now you got to, you mean that whole tree thing? I can relax about the tree thing? Yeah. You're not that special. Ugh. Ah, you mean the more trees I have, the better I don't look to God? That's right. Doesn't matter how many trees you have. You can't solve the problem. God had to solve it. How did he solve it? He solved it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he came in flesh like we did. So God didn't solve the problem from up in heaven. He didn't redo it all. Say, I know in Adam, like in chapter 5, in Adam, this all screwed up. So I'll just create a new Adam. That's not what he did. What he did was he sent his son to become an offering for sin. And look, here's the word that takes you back to chapter 5, 12 to 21. 
the whole discussion of security. You're not condemned anymore. Notice, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Christ came in his flesh. The only way to, to fix the sin problem, God had to do it. And he had to give his life. He had to die in the flesh. And in doing so, he condemned sin. Listen, the law condemns you. And it condemns you because of sin. Christ condemns sin. Now the law has nothing to condemn you with. See? I'm not under the condemnation of the law because Christ condemned sin by dying on the cross for it. All right? Now, that's where the bomb went off. Now, let's go up to 8.1 to see the wonderful, uh, the wonderful elements that come out of this. Notice what he says in chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, because of what God did, there is now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever heard this verse before in your life? Yes. We could do a series on the wonder of this, okay? The wonder of this no condemnation. Um, can't even begin to tell you grammatically what the impact of this is. That now is such a big now, because now in Christ, listen, for those in Christ, because of what he did, if you're connected to him, if you're in him, there's no condemnation anymore. And literally, this word really means no one. There's no one to condemn you. There's no voice in the universe. Heaven, hell, or earth. There's no voice at any time, past, present, or future, that could come against you ever again because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's your security. It's impossible for a higher authority to condemn you before God because of what Jesus Christ did. Not because of what you did, because of what God did in sending his son. Okay? Now, I'm just going to take you to ahead just a little bit. And let's see if I can get you to, let's see, look at Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33 to 5, look at what he says. Look how he closes the chapter. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who could bring a charge against you? God is the one who justifies. He's the one who makes you right. The charge would have to go to God. There's no one higher than him. Who is the one who condemns? He is. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised and who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. That's a present tense. That is, we are being interceded for on a regular basis. No one can bring a charge against us. Who will separate us from the love of God? Can anything? Nothing. There's no condemnation at the front end, and there's no separation at the back end. That's your security. That's why you can't lose it. And it's all based on what Jesus Christ did. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, 
What now, look what he does. Uh, this forms, by the way, this no condemnation is what justification accomplishes for you. That's what justification accomplishes for you. In the court of law, no one can condemn you anymore. Okay, so that's the first thing we see. The bomb went off in verse 3. What the law couldn't do, God did. And the effects of what God did, you cannot be condemned in the court of law anymore. I don't care how many trees are in your yard. And the truth of the matter is you can't have enough trees. So give up the tree collection. That's what he's saying. Cannot be condemned. That now then forms the basis of the next element that this bomb, when it went off, accomplished. It accomplished justification for us. We cannot be condemned. All right, and by the way, you say, how do I get... How, do, how does this wonder start to work itself? How do I become more loving? How do I start caring that I'm not just killing people anymore and I'm not just trying to live by the limits of the law, but I go farther and I love people who don't even love me back? It all starts right here, folks. You love him because why? He first what? This overwhelming truth right here changes the reality and forms the basis for your whole new spiritual life. And see, what Paul is saying here and the practical implications of it is the pressure's off. Very few of us know how to live with the pressure off. You know, think of it like this. Imagine you're in a courtroom and you are in big trouble, committed a capital crime, capital offense, and death hangs in the balance for you. If you're found guilty, you die. If you're not found guilty, you're free to go. And what if the judge were to say to you, hey, there's two options, two ways we could go here. The first way is simply to say, uh, I could acquit you right now. I could acquit you right now decisively and irrevocably. And you could go free. And you could go free and you can go live and prove that you're not the rebellious criminal that people believe you to be. Or we could put off this acquittal. We could put off this court date for a year or two. And I could have a parole officer follow you everywhere you go and videotape you to see if you're really a good guy or not. And then at the end of that two years, we'll bring the videotape in here and see whether or not you're really a good guy. Which one would produce depression? Can you imagine somebody following you around with a video camera? Can you imagine what that would feel like, the pressure of every day, knowing that your acquittal is in the balance? That's what it means to live by the law. That every day I got to get up and see if I can be a little better this way. A little better, a little better, a little better. The pressure's off. That's, there's no condemnation. You're acquitted. You're free to live the way God wants you to now without pressure. You say, how? The law of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting that he would, now which he's been somewhat really taking shots at the law, now he's going to talk to you about a different law. There's the law of the spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus. Look, it sets you free from the law of sin and death. There's a new law. One that brings life. Changes everything. The spirit now becomes a new player in the whole redemptive scheme. Mark that. The spirit is the one who has applied this truth to my life in such a way that the pressure's off me to live up to a standard, to try to look good before God and others. Pressure's off for that. I'm no longer attached to this law of sin which results in death. Because now there's a new life inside of me. And the Spirit is the one bringing home this truth to me. So I operate now in a new sphere. And the Spirit is the one who's now acclimating me to this whole new reality of living without the pressure. Wow, not the pressure. So he creates a freedom for me to live differently. Now, let's see what that freedom looks like and how it starts to play out in our lives. Let's see uh, what we're looking at here. Uh, let's see, do I have it here? Here you go. Where's verse 4? Did I miss it? There it is. All right, so here's where the, the bomb went off in chapter 3, or verse 3. The first effect of it was there's no condemnation because of what Christ did. There's no condemnation. I'm justified before God. I'm acquitted in God's court of law. And no one can condemn me again. That's the first benefit. The second benefit now is the Spirit of God not only applies Christ's death to me so that I'm free in the court of law, but he also sets me up so that the requirement of the law might actually be fulfilled in me. Not only am I... <laughs> this is amazing. Not only... Am I free in the court of law? God doesn't just send me on my way and say, go live any way you want. Now God says, the spirit of Christ is in you. Spirit of life is in you. And notice, now the requirements of the law might actually be fulfilled in you because of my spirit. My spirit is actually going to, you're not going to just leave this courtroom scot-free to do whatever you want. You leave this courtroom with a new dynamic, a new reality, a new disposition, a new way to live. And now this way to live is going to bring about the law in your life, but in a different way. The pressure's off to meet up the standards. I'm going to take you past the standard, God says. I'm going to do an inside work on you. It's going to make you love people. It's not going to make you think every day, did I kill them or did I not kill them? It's going to make you think, how can I love them and serve them? It's a whole different dynamic happening in your life. All right? So that the law might actually be fulfilled in you. This is important. I want to say this. Uh, I'm going to take you back to here for just a sec second. This is what I want you to see. Here's what Romans, uh, the other thing they, they chastised me on was that I don't finish words. You know I mean justification here. I don't want to spend the time writing it all. All right? Sanctification. Stop there. Listen, here's what Paul is saying. The bomb... went off 
And when the bomb went off, Christ died. That's the bomb going off. And guess what the bomb did? The bomb justified you in the court of law, and it gave you the spirit to now fulfill the law. You see? These two are linked. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 6 said, this is a gift. Because we all think, oh, going to heaven's a gift. But I don't have to do anything for God. No, 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 no. Out of that same bomb came the other gift, according to Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What's the gift? Verse 22, sanctification is the gift. So I could say justification leads to eternal life, E-L. <laughs> or I could say sanctification leads to eternal life, can I? I can say it either way, because you can't have one of these without the other. Does that make sense? It's really important that you get that. Because if the Spirit has not applied these two realities to your life, well then, you don't live with assurance. It's the Spirit that's applying these two realities to your life. It's not you manufacturing them. And that's a really important point that I want to get to here. Uh, there is not one command in chapter 8. Everything is a matter of fact. This is who you are. If that's not who you are, then there's a problem. It's not telling the truth. It's so interesting, isn't it? That in a chapter telling you how to fulfill the law, there's not one command. Ah! Is that greatness? How can he, Paul even think that way? There should be a list of commands. Not a list. There's no commands. Let me just tell you who you are. Let me just show you who you are. You've been justified by that bomb when it went off, and you've been sanctified. What does that new sanctification look like? What does that holy living look like? Because that's what sanctification is. You're sitting there going, what's sanctification? It's just holy living. It's right living. That's all it is. You now have the ability, like Romans said, to fulfill the law. This is fulfilling it. Here, I'm not condemned by it anymore. Here, I'm actually able to live it. That's what he's saying. So, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who look. Look at what it says. Who do not walk according to the flesh anymore. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore. It's not a command. It's a fact. You don't walk according to the flesh anymore if you're in Christ. You walk according to the Spirit. You say, well, somebody ought to tell me what that means. Yes. I agree. I'm going to start today. And I'm going to have to finish next week because I'll never get this done. And I just decided in my heart before this service began that I wasn't going to be able to end where I wanted to. And that we would have to take this up again next week. But let me start by saying a few things about the Spirit now. Because clearly you can see sin still matters. I mean, I don't live according to the flesh anymore. That's why it's, it's a crazy question to ask, can I keep sinning? You don't live according to the flesh anymore. The Spirit ought to be producing something in you, and it uses the word walk. And I just want to just help you begin to understand this new walk. All right? To walk 
Okay, listen. Walking is a very natural, very easy thing to do. Typically around one year old, you're doing it. Okay, as part of your new life. You get born, and then you get to move it. Isn't that right? You get born, then you get to move it. That's all the text is saying. You know, you just, there just should be just some natural progression of now you're walking. Natural movement. Okay? It's just what you do. The spiritual life, listen, this is really important. And you're going to have to apply it in ways in your own heart. Because I'll never have time to apply it all. But this is not an arrangement between you and God. This is not a business deal. This is not God saying, hey, I justified you. Now you better get out there and prove yourself. That's not it at all. It's, he's disconnected you from the flesh and he's moved you into the spirit. And in this new life, ought to show up in you. Just like when your child's born, you expect him around a year to be moving. To start crawling and then to start moving because he's in a new life, he's in a new environment, and he starts acclimating to that new environment. And what do we do as parents? We watch that kid grow. And that's what Paul is saying. It's not a business deal. It's a life. It's not an arrangement. Hey, I did something for you. Now you get up every day and prove yourself to me. Remember, the pressure is off. Kid doesn't feel pressure to crawl. Kid doesn't feel pressure to walk. This is something that happened to you. It's not something he's telling you to do. It's something you it's happening to you. This whole dynamic. All you're doing is going with the flow. That's one of the best phrases that I can use to describe what's happening in Romans 8. You're going with the flow. You're not doing anything. God did it all. There's no commands in here. So, the emphasis, as soon as you see the word spirit here, I want you to get this word in your head and keep it in there. Supernatural. It's supernatural. And if the spiritual life doesn't feel supernatural to you, then you're probably not, and I have been guilty of it many times, not operating right. It feels supernatural. As long as it's about your effort, you know, your appearance, your performance, desperately trying to be what God wants you to be, Trying to conform to a list. Listen, you're not trying to conform to a list. You're just following the Spirit's lead. So you say, how does the Spirit lead my life? Because I just want to follow it. That's all you're being asked to do. Is follow His lead. It's not self-focused. It's not rule-oriented. It's mystical. And that's what makes it difficult. Is we can't put our hands on it in every way because it's a spiritual thing. I, I wish I could. But because of what Christ has done, whatever it is, I'm suited for it. If, if he tells me I should be walking in here, then that means I ought to be able to walk in here. And he has made me. Here's the first thing the Spirit does. Is it tells you you're not condemned in the court of law. And then it gives you the ability to operate in the new environment God has set you in. You cannot produce Christianity. God has produced both the justifying end and the sanctifying. You don't produce it. You just go with the flow. This is really important. I want to emphasize it and we'll shut down. Remember the movie 
uh, Superman. When Superman first came out, do you remember the first time Superman took Lois Lane up in the air? If you can think back on it, it didn't take one very hard for me to remember the first time he took her flying off her balcony. And they were flying through the air, and she was petrified. Remember that look on her face? The look that would be on all of our faces? And he had a hold of her, and she was scared to death and held on to him. And as they kept flying for a little while, do you remember how pretty soon he was holding on to her, but then she would hold her arms out like this. She got a little freer, remember? And then eventually she started getting real. You don't have to hold me. Don't hold, don't hold me so much, remember? Don't hold me so much. And then she got out on his fingertips, remember? Now she's out there by herself. As soon as she let go of those fingertips, what happened? She dropped. Because Lois Lane cannot fly. Let's just make that point really clear. But you start to think you can fly, and you start making up stuff in your spiritual life. Quit making stuff up. The Spirit will do it for you. You just follow the lead. Hang on. Stop getting out from Him. The Spirit will do it. I'm going to show you how the Spirit does it, because I think a lot of times we don't even recognize it's the Spirit doing some of the things He's doing in our lives. We think it's us, because we're so used to operating with the pressure on. Here's a text that I think we need to see. Philippians 2, verses 13 and 14. Look at this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also in my absence, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he tells you to work out your salvation, what's in you. In other words, what's in you ought to come out. You say, well, what, what is happening here? Watch. Here's the reason you can even do that. For it is God who is at work in you. He's the one at work. You're just working with his work, see? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's all about what he's doing in you that makes it able for you to do anything. So I'm really acting by virtue. The only reason Paul can tell me that is because I'm already it's already happening inside of me. You can write Philippians 1, 6 in the margin of this because remember, he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it. What's the work? The work is salvation. The work is an intention of God to will and work for his good pleasure, for you to please him with your life. He's at work helping you please him through the Spirit. That's the Spirit's job, to work this thing out in your life. So you're just acting on his good intentions for you when you live the Christian life. You're just acting on his good intentions. And you do it because you know who else is, you know who's involved. You do it because you know who's in there. Seen the movie, Chariots of Fire. It's really about two men, two men who are runners, Eric Little, Harold Abrams. And if you know anything about the movie, you know these two men operate with completely two different mentalities when they run. Harold Abrams is a guy who ran for self-justification. 
he tells you when he runs the 100-yard dash. This is what he says in the movie. When the, when the gun goes off for the 100-yard dash, Harold Abrams says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. It's what I'm good at, and I've got to show the world, and people got to know I'm somebody because I can run the 100-yard dash. That's pressure. Eric Little, on the other hand, said that ran a completely different way. In fact, after his sister saw the movie, she said, the only thing I'd added to the movie was when he ran, he always ran with his head up and his mouth open. That's how he always ran. He always ran looking up to God and, and, and seen almost as if he was always praising God in his running. In the movie, he says, God made me fast. And I feel his pleasure when I run. The first thing that the Spirit does is help you live like that in your spiritual life. And I wish I had time for a bunch of illustrations. I'm going to have to get to those next week. But let me just say this. The first thing the Spirit does is, is gets you off you ought to feel the Spirit in your life say, I don't have to do that. I want to do it. It makes me feel good to obey God. That's the first thing the Spirit does. You say, well, the Spirit's not doing that in me. Well, then you better go back to chapter 5 and look at it all over again, brother. You might still be stuck in Adam. Spirit ain't doing that to me. That's a problem because this is all facts. This is what the Spirit does. If you don't experience it, if you don't feel the, the Spirit saying to you, hey, knucklehead, don't you love her because you have to. Well, what, do you, what do you want me to do? I want you to love her because I want you to love her. And remember, I love you in spite of you. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. That was really foolish of me. I'm sorry. If you don't have that conversation, that schizophrenic conversation in your head <laughs> every now and then, then you're, then really you're spiritually nuts if you don't have that conversation. Because God wants you to want your spirit. The spirit, the first thing it says is, no, 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 no. Not because you have to, big boy feel like you have to. You don't have to earn. Hey, you're not condemned. You get to. You don't got to. You get to. You get to honor me with your life. And my spirit is going to lay out the carpet for how to do that. And what I want to do throughout all of Romans 8, which is all about the spirit, how the spirit applies that to you. So you can go, oh, yeah, that's the spirit. This is what I want you to do by the time of Romans 8. You go, oh, yeah, that's the spirit in my life. Because there's probably ways right now you're grieving the spirit because you don't even know it's him. All right? So we got lots of illustrations. We got lots of things to bring this home to our life. And that's what we're going to do. Talk about this new law of the spirit in our life and how we walk according to that law instead of the old one. Okay, it's exciting, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? Okay, so just practice this week. 
having that little schizophrenic conversation with yourself, I think the Spirit's telling me something different than what everything in my mind is telling me right now, that I have to know. So the first thing you got to work on is hearing his voice tell you it's not about have to. It's about want to. And if you don't want to, well, that's another problem, people. I got to take you back to Romans 1 for that, where the wrath of God is upon us. We have moved from the wrath to the spirit. All right, I'm going to ask our ushers, if they would now, to come forward as we close our service. And Dave's going to come give you a few announcements if you're a guest. Uh, I'm going to be out in the uh, guest info booth. Love to say hello to you if you're new or if you haven't been around. I haven't met you. I've met so many people that I've never met before. And uh, I appreciate that. So you close that for us, Dave. Thank you. All right, let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for today and just the message that we are uh, new creatures in Christ. And we, are, do, we do uh, live in the spirit. And we just pray this week that we would fill that spirit in our lives, that you would lead and guide and direct us, and that we would obey the spirit and just minister and be ministered to here in our community. And just thank you again for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, there, uh, to pray with you, if you have a need you want to pray with, Jimmy and Robin Callahan and lead our marriage without kids group and then I'll be over here if you have a uh, and Brian Gaddy will be here as well so if you have a need you want to be prayed for please come forward